One of my favorite toys to play with as a kid was good old Play-Doh. I have distinct memories of sitting at my kitchen table at parents' house, getting to pop open a fresh jar of Play-Doh. This is a good fresh one right here. Popped the seal on it this morning. And, and you get to you know, spread it out and do all the things that you can do with Play-Doh, which is an infinite number of things. Um, there are not a lot of sense memories that are stronger than getting the smell of Play-Doh. I mean, I get one with, I am transported back to that kitchen table. And it wasn't uh, something we got to do all the time. My mom, I've said this before, she runs a business out of her home and has my whole life where she does fingernails. And so our kitchen table was often full of nail polish bottles and all kinds of other stuff, you know, for people to pick out while they got their nails done. And so it was a rare day when my mom wasn't working and we got to clear off the table and do something like get out Play-Doh. Now, what's so cool about it is that there are endless possibilities that exist uh, when you've got a few different colors of Play-Doh. You can make anything. The limit is only your imagination. Uh, I remember I had a friend growing up named Abby, which was a coincidence, not my wife, just a friend I had uh, when we were uh, little. My mom babysat her, so we were always together. And so I remember going to her house, and she had the um, mop top hair shop. Right, and they've they've remade this and repackaged it with all kinds of different names over the year. There's probably a dozen different versions. It's essentially a barber shop, but in this version, you would uh, screw the the seat, the the barber's chair, and hair would come out of the top of the person. And sometimes them had a beard as well. And so then you got to cut the hair. And I thought that was so cool. And I would go home, and I was so jealous that she had the mop top hair shop, and I didn't. Well, now my kids play with Play-Doh. I didn't have to buy this special. We had it at the house, right? My kids play with Play-Doh, and they've all loved it at varying stages. Eleanor's probably the main lover of Play-Doh, and I think she loves it more than any of the boys did, either of the boys did. And again, you can make anything. There's so many different Play-Doh toys to mold and, and squish this stuff into whatever you want it to be. Uh, we have some Star Wars Play-Doh toys. You can make an air speeder that Luke used to, you know, tie up the legs of the Imperial walkers in Empire Strikes Back. In fact, the thing that makes the speeder is a giant Imperial walker that we just have kind of sitting in our kitchen at all times. Uh, we have um, infinite amounts of things you can mold into t- uh, food, you know, burgers, hamburger patties, onions, tomatoes, um, and then we got a whole pizza set up so you can go from hamburgers to pizza in a moment's notice, and then we have one that makes uh, uh, Olaf from Frozen, a little mold to stack up uh, your own Olaf, but you don't even need the toys. You don't. In fact, I'll bet a lot of you did what I did, because I didn't have a mop-top hair shop. We use cookie cutters, right? That's, uh, I saw online, I put on, on the Facebook uh, feed, I put what did you guys like to make with Play-Doh? And Tina said, I like, I use cookie cutters. Like, yeah, that's what we did. We had cookie cutters. In fact, at our house, we have an old bag along with all the toys, and it's just cookie cutters, and they like doing that as well. Um, now, let me tell you something, though, I've learned with playing with my kids with stuff like this. Any, actually, any toy where you build anything, um, but Play-Doh is definitely in there. If I shape this glob of clay into something, into something specific, It will not be long before they modify it or destroy it. Doesn't matter what it is. In fact, you know, and I'm still a little bit of a kid at heart, and so I'll sit down, and they're like, Dad, can you play with me? I'm like, okay, fine, and I'll sit there. But it's not too long before I'm kind of into it too. 
And so I'll start making something. And the more attention and time I spend on something, and the cooler it is, the quicker they want to grab it and smush it and recreate it. Like that's, I don't know. So I've had to learn to not get too attached to my creations because they will destroy it. They will make something new out of it. And so I've had to kind of retrain my brain a little bit to think it's, it's not that they're destructive. My children and I just have different creative sensibilities. We have a different artistic visions for what the Play-Doh needs to be. And so it used to frustrate me, but now, you know, I just kind of let it go and I step aside since I'm the adult and let them make their visions a reality. Now, you might not think this is true, but as I teased earlier, you and I, this isn't just a you thing, it's a we thing, you and I have something very in common with Play-Doh, and it's that you and I are as moldable and shapeable as this is. We can become very, very different people depending on what we let mold us and shape us. Now, uh, last week we started a teaching series called Mind Blown where uh, we are talking about the power of our thoughts, the impact of the way we think on how we live. Our thoughts determine how we live. They determine how we make the choices, the way we look at problems and situations, whether we see things in a positive light or a negative light. Our thoughts have incredible, incredible power. And the things we spend the most time thinking about will influence how we live our everyday lives. And so we need to be careful And we need to make sure that we are allowing the right things to occupy our minds. We need to make sure we are thinking about the right things and be careful to guard our minds so that we don't just give anything time in our brains to influence and shape us. And last week what we talked about was how easy it is to be influenced and molded by lies versus truth. Now today what we're going to look at is being intentional about what we are allowing to have space in our thoughts, what we're allowing to therefore mold and shape us. Um, And today we're going to focus on one verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. It's actually part of a larger section with a lot going on. And in fact, I had started to write this sermon with that larger section. And I thought, this is going to be like 40 pages long. This is a book. This isn't a, uh, a sermon. So I had to cut it down and go only with Romans 12, 2 today. Now, if you're not familiar, Romans is a letter in the New Testament. Sometimes we call it a book in the New Testament. It was written by a pastor and church planner named Paul, and he was writing to a church in the city of Rome, the same Rome that is still around today. And he was writing this letter to encourage them, to teach them what it meant to truly follow Jesus. And here's what he writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. He warns Christians, don't be formed by the world. And the word uh, conformed there means mold. Don't be squished into the mold that the world is trying to squish you into. Don't be conformed by the world. And he's saying essentially that you and I are Play-Doh. We're squishy, we're flexible, and we can be molded and shaped into different people. We can have our thoughts, the way we think, our, our morality, what we think is good and bad, shaped by the influences we let into our lives. As humans, we will be shaped by the things that we interact with on a daily basis. And some of you maybe value yourself to be an independent thinker. 
You don't want to follow and be like everybody else, but it doesn't matter how independent you think you are. You cannot escape it. Every single day, you are being formed into something, whether you like it or not. Every day, you are being formed into something, by something, whether you like it or not. It is a human fact of life. We are Plato. And we've all experienced this in smaller ways that aren't ultimately that important, okay? The best example that we can all relate to is there's a reason why you look back at old pictures of yourself and cringe. There's a reason why you look back and go, I can't believe I ever did my hair that way. I can't believe I ever thought those clothes were cool. Why? Because at that point in time, you were being formed by our culture to think a certain thing was good, And over time, you've been formed by a different trend to think that that, ooh, that's bad, and now this is good. And it's just how culture works. And you think, whether it was, you know, the bell bottoms you thought were so awesome in the 70s that will never go out of style, um, whether it was the shoulder pads and the big hair of the 80s, I don't know, whatever it was that you got into, uh, the higher the better. Some of you, there's there's a hole in the ozone that could have your name on it because of how much hairspray you use to tease your hair to the ceiling, right? And so that's just how it is, though. We look back and we cringe. Why? Because we were molded and formed and shaped. Our opinions, our view on what was cool and acceptable was shaped. And now it's been shaped by the moving of culture. Our culture is a formation machine. That's what our culture does. It is a formation machine. And we have all been molded and will continue to be molded by the people in our lives, by the experiences that we've had, by the books that we read, by the movies we watch, by the stuff that we look at and read on the internet. All of those things are shaping us. It is unavoidable, absolutely unavoidable. Absolutely everything exerts pressure on you. It's pushing on you, molding you, and shaping you to be something, to see life a certain way. And Paul says that to just allow ourselves to be molded into whatever the world says is okay right now is devastating to a Christian's faith. That it will wreak havoc. You will never be the person God made you to be if you're just going to go through life and allow yourself to be squished into the mold that culture says is acceptable. Now, let me give you an example. And this is a big one, okay? And this is an example of the fact that sometimes you're being molded and shaped and we don't even realize it. Like, that's how dangerous this is and how on our guard we have to be. Because a lot of us are shaped and molded and we don't even understand that we've ever been molded, okay? Um, A few generations ago, um, there was what's called the greatest generation, the generation coming out of World War II. And they had a heart and a mindset for the greater good. There was a mindset towards service and sacrifice and we, not me, right? And um, when the war started, men were lining up to, to offer their lives to serve in the military. And there were even, um, not probably as many, but there were a lot of guys who walked away in tears because they were deemed unfit for whatever reasons, health reasons. I know my grandpa couldn't serve because his eyes were so bad. He wore these big old Coke bottle glasses that were so thick, you wondered how they didn't just like tip off his face his whole life. When he had uh, corrective eye surgery when he was in his 80s, he walked out and he said, oh, so that's what stars look like. His whole life, he'd never been able to see stars, and so he couldn't serve. And there were people that walked away in tears because they were devastated that they didn't have the opportunity to serve. There was shame being associated with not being able to sacrifice yourself for the good of others. And then the generation that came next 
flipped the script. And within 20 years, about, about 20 years after World War II, uh, there started to be this huge shift in mindset away from community, away from giving and serving towards radical individualism. Me over we. Self-expression is king. You, living your best life, doing what you want to do, that started to take over. And for the last 70 years or so, every single one of us have been born into and raised in a culture where we are shaped by this radical individualism that you as a person is the most important thing that you need to focus your attention on. You do what's good for you, think about yourself, you worry about your life and your situation. And I think this last 70 years has devastated the church. I think it has utterly devastated the church. Because just to be clear, the biblical idea of faith is that it was originally lived out in community. You look in the New Testament, the book of Acts, all of these commands that are given to early Christians apply to only a life that is lived around other people. A life where you see your faith as a team sport, not an individual effort. A community where people work together to, be active, to actively be like Jesus. And Jesus called Christians to do things like sacrifice, take up your cross, follow me, give your life away for others. Well, how can you sacrifice? How can you give your life away if faith is only about you? If your faith isn't driving you to others, if it doesn't make you think, how can I help others and serve others in this way with this knowledge? Well, chances are you've been influenced by this radical individual mentality. And so it's diminished the community aspect of faith, excuse me, so that we've been formed to believe that your life, all that matters is you as an individual. You are the main character in this story of life. And we've turned faith from following Jesus together to this thing where faith is only about me and Jesus. Just me and, me and Jesus alone. You mind your business. Don't talk. In fact, in the last like 70 years, it's become rude to talk about faith and religion. Why? Because it's my thing. It's very personal. It's not about you. It's not about church. It's not about other people. It's me and my relationship with Jesus and nothing else matters. That's not the picture of faith you see in Scripture. And because we've brought this radical individual mindset into the church, so many Christians have have a warped view of what the church is. It's not a family of faith to walk this road of, of Jesus together. It's become this place where you go and you think, what can the church do for me? What does the church offer me? How can the church make me feel good? How can the church make my life easier? And so we've showed up to church with the mindset for like 70 years of what can I get out of this? How can I take from church rather than give to these people that I'm walking this road of faith with? And when we make church all about ourselves, we lose so much about faith because the church wasn't meant to be a bunch of me's. It wasn't meant to be a bunch of people thinking about themselves. And what happens is, when it's all about me, we come to church and we avoid getting to know people. We rush in as late as we can and we leave as quickly as we can because why would I need to know people? Faith is me and Jesus. Forget those other people. It's me and Jesus. Me and Jesus. Me, me, me. That's all that matters, how Jesus makes me feel about myself. Um, we come because we want to feel good. We want things to make me feel a certain way. I want to have a spiritual experience. Church is about how I feel. It's about how the music makes me feel. It's about how the sermon makes me feel. I don't need uh, anything else because it's just about me. It becomes harder to get people to serve over time. Why? Because I don't need to serve for the greater good. In fact, 
our most common reason to serve is because I want to do something to make me feel like I've done something. I serve so that I can feel good about being a giving person. I serve so that I can feel good and afterwards give myself a nice pat on the back so we don't serve sacrificially. We only serve in ways that might get us a good attaboy or an attagirl on our way out the door. We no longer have this deep calling to give our lives away for the good of others. And this focus on individuality has made leaving a church easier than ever before. Because if it's all about you and what you like and how you feel, well, if something you don't like happens, Go find a church that you do like. Move along. If something uh, is the way that you don't like, if they change the music or the sermons happen a certain way, well, pff, I don't need that. It's about me and I don't like it, so that means there's nothing here for me anymore. Oh, the decor. I mean, is it, it's no surprise that in this shift to radical, radical individualism that the church went through something called the worship wars. Sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? No shots were fired actual physical shots, but relationships and bridges were burned aplenty in churches in our country in the last 70 years. Why? Music, style, preference, carpet color, paint color, things that don't matter to the mission of God, but things that matter when it's all about me, 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 me. You see, this is a a shift that has devastated the church. It has gotten our eyes completely off the point, and it has led us to be not a family, not a community, but something where we're just a bunch of me people walking in, and we leave the second we stop finding everything to be to our liking. Somebody offends you, just leave. Don't, Don't do the hard work of forgiving and reconciling. Just leave because it's about you, and they hurt you, and you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. The modern American church, and I'm not picking on us by any means, I'm talking about the modern American church has become so weak and ineffectual because we have allowed ourselves to be shaped by our culture, and we don't even know it. Most of you probably have never even thought about this shift that's taken place, but that's all our culture is right now, radical individuality. Every message that you get is radical, you are important above all. And so Paul is warning us, and this is why he's warning us, Pay attention. Don't just allow yourself to be conformed. Don't just go with the flow because it's not what our faith was meant to be. You're going to be shaped into something that doesn't help you become more like Jesus. Just letting opinions rub off on you and going with the flow is devastating. So he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed not conformed, transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So rather than being conformed, we must allow ourselves to be transformed. Transformed, uh, the word that, we tra- that is translated transformed is the, the word that we ultimately get our English word metamorphosis. It's what we talk about when caterpillars turn into butterflies. Like They don't even look like the same thing when the process is over. Same kind of idea here for Christians. And so how do we be transformed? He says, by the renewal of our minds. There is power in how we think. There is power in how we look at the world. There is power in what we let spend the most time in our brain. We said this last week, but how we think determines how we live. And what's interesting is that Paul speaks of both being conformed and being transformed as passive things. They're not something that we can actively do. They're things that we must allow. 
things that we must surrender to, processes that we aren't really in control of, but we're just kind of surrendering ourselves to the will of the one that is shaping and forming us. So when it comes to being conformed to the world, you're not deciding that. You're just deciding that, okay, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to do what's normal, watch what's normal, play with what's normal, give my time and my schedule to look like everybody else's. I'm going to watch the same movies, same TV shows, listen to the same music. And every one of those things is, is allowing a little bit of influence into your life. It's saying, I don't pay attention to what's shaping me. I'm just doing what everyone else does. And so we become Plato, and we allow our Plato soul to be shaped into something that God deems unacceptable, but that the world deems acceptable. And when it comes to transformation, what is it that we're surrendering to to allow us to be transformed, to allow our minds to be renewed? Well, the New Testament is pretty clear that the one doing the work of transformation in our midst, in our, in our minds, excuse me, is the Holy Spirit. We, we, we become Christians, and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us to give us supernatural power to have gifts to serve, but also to be shaped and transformed from the inside out. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So it's the Spirit of God that renews us, it's this, uh, this word renewal, it means spiritual rebirth, being born again. This is a Christian term. Uh, you don't find it anywhere else in all of ancient Greek literature. This is a word that Christians made up to apply to this unique thing that happens when the Holy Spirit is working and shaping us from the inside out. But if Christians have the Holy Spirit to do the work of transformation, why don't we all change the same way? How come some people grow up more spiritually than others? How come some people seem to never mature in their faith and they just look like the same people? They come on Sunday, but there's never really any transformation, never really any deepening of their faith. Why, if we all have the Spirit, why don't we get transformed to the same amount, the same level? Well, as I said, we don't actively do the work of transforming. We can just surrender to it. We've got to make the choice. What's going to form me? What am I going to allow to have the most time and space in my life to shape and form me. And my guess is if you feel like your faith hasn't grown, if you feel stunted, if you feel like you haven't become a person who is more loving and gracious and merciful and sacrificial and serving as you've been a Christian, my guess is you just haven't given enough space in your life for the Spirit to work. You haven't surrendered yourself to the work of the Spirit. And what I mean by that is you have to let or set your life up in such a way that you're kind of pushing out all the conforming forces, at least you can't totally escape from the world unless you go like live in an RV off the grid a hundred miles from civilization, right? We're not going to be able to do that. But we've got to do something to push out some of the influences of our world that are still pushing on us and make room for God's work, God's Holy Spirit to transform us. Um, and the thing is, though, God never forces himself on people. It's always our choice to invite him into our life or not. It's our choice to be obedient or not, to follow or not. And so here we find ourselves with the choice. Are we going to live our lives every day to make room for the Spirit or not? Are we going to be conformed or transformed? It's our choice. 
And the reality is, though, that we spend almost all of our time giving the world all the room it needs to shape us into its image, all the, all the room to press on us and mold us and squeeze us into that mold. That's why Christians aren't known by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are not the traits that most people def- define Christians by. And let's be honest, is that the words we'd pick to define Christians in our country? No. We've become known for hypocrisy, scandal, anger, hatred, not any of those fruit, because it's not the spirit that we're letting to transform us. It's something else. Uh, Let me give you a a really shocking example that I didn't know until after somebody pointed it out. You ever had one of those things where you didn't know something about you until somebody pointed it out? That's horrifying to have that kind of blind spot in your life. But I've heard this numerous times over, I'd say, like the last year, year and a half. I've heard uh, ministers and kind of cultural experts say that there is no other group that is so in love with celebrity as Christians in the church. That Christians are so enamored with celebrity. Um, I've heard this one story was a guy, he was a New York Times, he is a New York Times columnist, I believe, and he became a Christian some years back. And he went to a church in New York, and people knew him there. Okay, he was kind of a famous big deal, and he said he started showing up to church late because people were like, oh my gosh, it's you, what are you doing here? We can't believe it. People wanted to roll out all the red carpet for him, and they, everybody, anybody else could walk in and get ignored because he got flocked. He's like, I don't know what it is about the church that they just love famous faces. Um, a good example of this, and I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but I'm saying uh, Tim Tebow, how did he get famous? Christian. He, he got identified as a Christian, and we were like, it's one of us on TV, and we lost our minds. I'm not saying he's not a good guy and a faithful person, but we flocked to that. He's, he doesn't even play anymore, does he? He hasn't. He kind of got a little bit of a start this year, and it just didn't go well. He tried, he tried the Michael Jordan route and went to the baseball leagues, and that didn't work out either, right? I mean, it's funny, though. It's not because he's a great person. It's because he was in kind of the spotlight and he was a Christian, and we just were enamored because it's almost as if if someone in power is a Christian, that we kind of that makes us feel powerful. If they're influential, then maybe we're influential. And um, you know, we we have this long history of, in again, the last seventy years of these ministers becoming uber famous, having these huge mega churches and TV ministries and this and that. And then what follows? A giant scandal where they've been sleeping with their secretary and anybody else that got within their circle for the last 20 years and nobody knew about it. Or too many people knew about it and kept their mouths shut. And we elevate pastors far beyond where their character can sustain them. Why? So that we can, again, feel something that is dangerous, is cultural, not spiritual. And, you know, for those of us who claim to have a savior who is a poor, homeless rabbi from the middle of nowhere who died a death that was reserved for the lowest, most despicable human beings on the planet. It should bother us that we are so gravitated toward lifting people up and people shining these like big lights of, oh, they're so great. That's not what human nature was meant for. That's not what Christians were meant for. That's another way we've been shaped by the world, not by the truth of Scripture and the Holy Spirit. So how do we make room for the Spirit to work then? How do we as Christians push out the other stuff and make room for the Spirit to work? What do we need to bring into our lives to set the stage so the Spirit can actually work on these big old lumps of Play-Doh the way the Spirit needs to work? 
Okay, well, I've got a list of a few things here. First is Scripture. The truth of God is found in Scripture. Not in fun, little, pretty, spiritual-sounding quotes on Facebook. In Scripture. In God's Word. Those are the words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit to be the truth that would lead us to God. Now, this isn't a great analogy here, but it'll work. Um, Imagine the Holy Spirit is the one with the match, and Scripture is the kindling. And the more Scripture we can pile into our life, the more truth we can pile into our brains, the more chances we have of this Holy Spirit being able to do something with that and to shape us the right way. The truth of Scripture battles all the lies of our world. The truth of Scripture helps us realize, wait, the way that I'm thinking about this isn't right. That's worldly, not spiritual, not the way Jesus wants us to think. So last week I encouraged you to memorize Scripture. We talked about um, Romans 8.1, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To battle that lie that you're not good enough. Oh, you messed up again. Jesus must not love you. Battle the truth or battle the lies with truth. Um, One passage I've been working on is uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 4, verses 15 and 16. I thought about trying to recite it for you, but I feel like I'm not quite there yet. But I've been, I've been working. I've, I've got an app on my phone that has these little exercises that you walk through, and it has really helped. I'm, I'm terrible. I have to really work to memorize Scripture. Um, you, I can watch a, a movie once. I can watch a comedy show once, and I can quote you half of each. But the Scriptures, I've got to go over and over, and I've got to like drill it into my brain. I don't know why my brain is wired that way. I really don't, but it is. And so uh, it's something I have to work at. But... It's something I'm trying to work at because truth, I need that truth in my mind to shape me, not according to the world, but so the Spirit can shape me. Here's another one. Silence. How foreign is that in our world? We wake up and we've got news feeds and music and everything pumping into us and everything is sending you a message. Every song is sending you a message telling you what's okay and what's not. Every TV show, it's gotten a little more obvious in the last few years, but every, every TV show is clearly trying to shape your opinion of what's right and what's wrong. That's just the way it is. You can't escape it from kids' shows on up. It is trying to shape us. And sometimes we need to just push out all the noise and give room for the Spirit to work. Tune out the noise so the Spirit can actually allow us to absorb and speak and speak truth to us and hear so that we can hear truth. Another one, service. We need to start serving and giving. That is a huge way to work against our natural desires. Again, we don't serve to make ourselves feel good. I'm a generous person. I'm one of those few people that gives and helps and, and works for the, you know, for things that don't get me a paycheck. Like there's a, It's not a lot of percentage of our country that does things, that volunteers and serves and, and gives in those ways, right? And so we don't serve as an attaboy or an girl. No, we serve in ways because it's what we're called to do and it shapes who we are. Um, so if you struggle with a desire to feel important, maybe volunteer to scrub toilets. Maybe volunteer to serve in a, in a place that no one's ever going to see so that no one can ever thank you. Are you struggling with greed? Maybe choose to give and help in ways that are completely in secret and no one will see. And it fights both that ability to want an attaboy, to want to be built up and want to feel important, and also that desire in you to keep everything for yourself. And the, third, and the fourth one, godly relationships. 
Maybe you thought it was going to be another S word, but I, no, this wasn't one of those sermons where the, here's the four S's to success. Or, the, fir, the fact that the first four were S's was a complete coincidence. Um, so yeah, but, but another thing we need in our lives to be shaped is, is godly relationships. We need people that are kind of farther down the road of following Jesus than we are, whether in terms of maturity or in terms of time. We need those people to just show us and reframe what it means to be a successful human. What does it mean to live a life for Jesus? We need people who can kind of help us to calibrate our minds to a new and a different normal. Because we become like the people that we spend our time with. And so we need a new way of thinking. And the people we're around will be a huge influence to you on that. So if you want to be transformed and not conformed, you have got to stop giving the world so much room in your life to influence and mold you. And you need to give the Spirit more and more space to shape you into the image of Jesus. We're going to have to learn to say no to all the normal stuff that makes us like everybody else. We've got to learn to say no to all those things we add to our lives um, that, again, are, if we really think about it, not things that help us be shaped and transformed into Jesus, but they're just helping us be like everybody else. We've got to learn to say no to being like everybody else. You've got to learn to say no to measuring success um, by how well our neighbors are doing versus us or by how well those people at school are doing versus us, those parents in the drop-off line. We are being formed by something all the time, all the time. This is happening now. It's happening when you leave here. It's happening absolutely everywhere. You are being formed by the things that you give the most time to in your life, the most time to in your brain. There is no neutral. You're not just going to stay the same. You will be formed. You will either allow yourself to be conformed, squeezed into the mold by the world and all of its messaging, or you allow the Spirit to speak to you and shape you with truth and love. And I believe the American Christian's failure, collective Christians, all of us, I believe there's a, a collective failure to realize the shaping power of our world has been utterly devastating to our faith, and it has warped our way that we look at a relationship with Jesus. It's not just about us. That's why I like to bring that up every now and then when we take communion, because what do we do when we take communion? Get a little, little Jesus huddle. Got me and my little pouch of Jesus here. His, his flesh and his blood, and it's just block out everybody else. Close your eyes. Don't even think about anybody else. Forget about everybody else. It's just you and Jesus. But that's not what we see in Scripture. They sat at a table. It was a meal shared with one another. They knew the people around them. They talked to the people around them. It, they, there was an awareness that this was a thing that we are grateful for, not that I am grateful for. It's a huge shift. But we've got to stop giving influence the influencing power of the world, time to press on us and mold us. And we've got to start desperately. We need to start making more and more room for the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we do hope and pray that we would be people who are shaped into the image of Jesus by your Spirit. Sometimes we, we wonder why we don't experience more growth, more change, why some of this doesn't come easier to us. But then we, you know, we're living lives where we're giving time to all the wrong stuff. We're consumed with work and extracurriculars and ball games and TV shows, and, and we're never taking any time out of our day to sit and ingest your scripture into our lives and, and pray and talk to you, Father, and share our concerns and asking you to open our eyes to the deficiencies and the ways that we are, have been improperly molded. 
We don't make time for silence where we can actually just think about all the things the world's telling us to be and do and think, this isn't even right or good. I pray, Father, that we would be people who start to make room intentionally every single day, that we would start to squeeze some time in and allow time where we can sit and read your word or maybe listen to it on a, an audio app or something. Maybe we can start memorizing scripture, getting more of your word into our brains so that we can always battle the truth or the lies of this world with your truth. I pray that we can make time to earnestly pray and seek you. I pray that we would just be people who are aware of what we're being shaped into and have a desperate desire to not be molded like everybody else in the world, not be a carbon copy of our society, but rather we would be transformed like a caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly, something different and beautiful, something that sticks out and grabs attention because of its difference. Our world is molding. It's, it's pushing every day. And I pray that together as a church family, we would work together in community to, to help, uh, help us be molded differently. And we pray that we would submit to the power of your spirit every day in our lives to have room to work and move and to shape us with your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.